Coming up this week, a student-built solar camper van completes a 2,000-kilometer trip across Europe. Canada emerges as a cornerstone of the North American battery supply chain. A new study shows recycled lithium batteries are just as good as new ones and more. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 83 of the EV Resource Podcast, or you could think of it as episode 82, part two, if you wanted. I'm Zach Hurst, and each week I bring you the latest EV news, information, and answers to your questions about electric vehicles. There was way too much news this week to only do one podcast episode, so I'm doing two. I mean, why not? There's just so much to talk about. Anyway, the first part uh, was a YouTube video, so head on over to the EV Resource YouTube channel and check that out. While you're over there, hit subscribe, like the video, leave a comment, and all of those good things. Unlike that one, though, this episode is going to be audio only, so enjoy. Starting us off this week is a report from Electrek sharing 22 students at the Eindhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands built a solar camper van and drove it 2,000 kilometers or 1,242 miles across Europe using only sun power. The team of students, which calls itself Solar Team Eindhoven, named the solar van Stella Vita. It runs on 100% solar power. The team designed the camper van between November of 2020 and March of 2021. The team finished building it by July and started to test drive it. At the beginning of September of this year, it was licensed for use on public roads, and it started its European journey later in September. The aerodynamic Stella Vita, which fits two people, contains a double bed, a sofa, a kitchen, and a bathroom with a shower, sink, and toilet. It has a lifting roof to provide space for cooking, sleeping, and eating. When the roof is raised, extra solar panels can be slid out of the sides, which then doubles the surface area of solar panels from 8.8 square meters to 17.5 square meters. Stella Vita can travel up to 600 kilometers or 373 miles on its 60 kilowatt hour battery when fully charged, even when it's not sunny. On a full sunny day, its range increases to 730 kilometers or 454 miles. The team drove around 300 kilometers or 186 miles between each destination on their journey. The students included a built-in infotainment system that tells users how much energy the appliances have consumed and what can be done with the remaining energy. Now, I've had the chance of getting up close to look at some solar cars here in the U.S., and I can tell you none of them are as big as this one. This is absolutely massive, something like the size of like a Cadillac Escalade, maybe bigger. It's 23 and a half feet long, six feet high at its highest point if the roof is not raised, and nearly seven feet wide when the solar array isn't extended out to the sides. And it's heavy too, weighing nearly 3,800 pounds. But for all of that, it can certainly go the distance, and I can't help but want one. Will we see solar cars and campers in the near future? Not likely, but it is nice to see what's possible with current technology. And next up, Canada could be a new cornerstone for EV batteries in North America. Bloomberg reports, despite having all of the critical ingredients for lithium-ion batteries, nickel, cobalt, lithium, graphite, etc., Canada doesn't have any EV cell or component manufacturing, and it has only about 10% of the battery demand of the U.S. 
Combined with a lack of government support for the battery supply chain, it had seemed that Canada was destined to lose the value add of its raw materials as they are exported to countries that had invested in battery production. And we've seen this type of relationship in the battery supply chain before, in particular between Australia and China. In 2020, Australia accounted for almost 50% of global lithium production, but the majority of this material was exported to China for refining. China, for its part, accounts for 75% of battery materials refining capacity today, but sources almost all of its raw materials from overseas. Australia is beginning to claim some of the value of its own raw materials. In August of this year, the Chinese lithium miner Tiangui, Tianji, I'm probably mispronouncing that. Anyway, they produced the first batch of lithium hydroxide from its new Kiowana refinery in Western Australia. At the beginning of this month, Australian mining behemoth BHP commissioned its Nickel West plant in Western Australia, which will produce nickel sulfate, a key battery raw material. However, Australia lacks large-scale battery demand and has no domestic vehicle production, so it's unlikely to attract much of the supply chain beyond material refining. And this is where Canada's story diverges from Australia's. Canada has a reasonable domestic battery demand, existing vehicle production, and crucially, the USMCA free trade agreement that means batteries produced in Canada can be sold into the EV supply chain here in the US. And despite the promising foundations for Canada to be a cornerstone of the North American battery supply chain, until recently it had appeared that there was a lack of support at the government and policy level to attract the industry. This is no longer the case. In just the last two weeks, two cell manufacturers have been enticed to set up shop in Canada with plans to build gigawatt-hour scale cell manufacturing facilities in the country. One of them, British Volt, a UK-headquartered cell manufacturing startup, plans to build a 60-gigawatt-hour plant in Quebec, while Stromvolt, a Canadian-headquartered startup, is planning a 10-gigawatt-hour plant in Ontario. Combined with announcements south of the border, North America has plans for over 400 gigawatt hours of capacity to be built this decade. This is still short of the 508 gigawatt hour annual demand the region will have by 2030, so expect more announcements to come. Once a country has cell manufacturing capacity, the rest of the component manufacturing industry tends to follow as suppliers move close to their customers. So Canada is now on course to create a strong domestic battery supply chain. For automakers that are conscious about the environmental footprint of their batteries, a growing trend in Europe, but still not a key consideration here in North America, Canada's low grid emissions could make it even more attractive as a manufacturing hub. As EV growth continues in North America, a new supply chain super hub is growing to challenge the dominance of China and is quickly catching up with the growing industry in Europe. Clean Technica has published an article this week talking about a new study on recycled batteries. This new study found out that recycled lithium-ion batteries are as good as, and even better than, new batteries made with newly mined materials. Yan Wang, a professor of mechanical engineering at Worcester Polytechnic Institute and a team of researchers from the U.S. Advanced Battery Consortium, conducted the study. Along with Wang and his team, A123 Systems, a battery company, also participated in the study. 
The study has shown that batteries and automakers don't have to worry about recycled battery materials being as good as freshly mined minerals. Wang explained to IEE Spectrum, quote, in general, people's impression is that recycled material is not as good as virgin material. Battery companies still hesitate to use recycled material in their batteries, end quote. Wang and the team of researchers tested batteries with recycled NMC-111 cathodes, which are the most common type. These are made up of equal parts nickel, manganese, and cobalt, hence the 111, NMC, nickel, manganese, cobalt, 111, or one part each. They were made using a technique that was patented by Battery Resources, a startup that Wang co-founded. The study, which is published in the academic journal Juul, noted that recycled materials are deemed inferior to commercial materials, and that is a hindrance to an industry that needs to adopt recycled materials in new batteries. In the study, the team demonstrated how recycled NMC-111 cathodes are actually superior in both rate and cycle performance and verified this with various industry-level tests. IEEE Spectrum noted that the recycled batteries were not tested in cars to simplify how the team conducted their tests. The team made 11 amp-hour industry-standard pouch cells that were loaded with materials as the same density as EV batteries. Wang explained that the engineers from A123 Systems performed most of the testing using a protocol devised by USABC that meets commercial viability goals for plug-in hybrid EVs. The results proved that recycled cathode materials are a viable alternative to pristine materials, the article noted. Battery Solutions noted that an estimated 3 billion batteries are thrown away each year by Americans, a population of 323 million people. This includes all type of batteries, not just lithium. However, this emphasized the importance of battery recycling. The idea that there are battery snobs out there looking down their long noses at recycled batteries is silly in light of the climate situation that we are dealing with. We need to get over ourselves and discard mentalities such as these. What good are new batteries if we're all dead from climate-caused disasters? Well, that may be a reach, but actually, it's our future if we don't get our act together. Ever since the Jetsons TV show, and honestly, maybe earlier, but other pop culture references evade my mind at the moment, personal flying cars have been something of our collective cultural dreams. From Back to the Future, well, the second one, to The Fifth Element, flying cars have always been something of a representation of what the future should be. Well, now the future is one step closer to, um, well, now. For the price of a Tesla Model S, you can buy a flying car that doesn't require you to have a pilot license. The single-seat Jetson 1 vehicle is categorized as an ultralight in the U.S., which means it doesn't require a pilot license to fly. For the price of a luxury electric car, you can now buy your very own personal electric airplane. It's really a VTOL, but, you know, go with it. And this can take you up as high as 4,921 feet or 1,500 meters into the sky. No pilot's license needed. The Swedish startup Jetson Aero on Thursday unveiled its first commercial product, a single-seat aluminum aircraft called Jetson, available for just $92,000 in the U.S. starting next year. And for that price, you will get a half-assembled kit, which includes an aluminum space frame, motor controllers, propellers, and motors, as well as an assembly guide. Thank goodness. 
Weighing only 88 pounds when empty, it is considered an ultralight, and the single-seat aircraft can carry a passenger weighing up to 210 pounds. The operator uses a throttle level, throttle lever, a, easy for me to say, a joystick and pedals to control the aircraft's movements, while a computer software makes sure that it's stable during flight. To ensure safety, the vehicle is also equipped with LiDAR sensors for terrain tracking and obstacle avoidance, and a ballistic parachute that can be deployed in no time at all in case of a motor failure or battery outage. Jetson Aero is one of many startups betting on the growing interest in eVTOLs, but compared with most companies in this space that focus on developing large, multi-seat urban taxis, what Jetson Aero is offering looks more like a toy for hobbyists which, on the positive side, saves it from a whole lot of complicated regulatory processes. The FAA, or the Federal Aviation Administration, considers ultralights not planes, but quote-unquote vehicles that are not required to meet the U.S. or foreign airworthiness certification standards. And ultralights are not a new concept. In the U.S., they've been around since the 1970s at least. And because ultralights are not required to be registered, we don't know how many of them are in use, but an outdated estimate by the U.S. Ultralight Association says that there were about 18,000 ultralights of all types, being planes, powered parachutes, paragliders, and, and so on, nationwide by the 1990s. And most ultralights are used for recreational purposes. Under FAA rules, these vehicles cannot be flown over congested areas of a city, so don't count on it getting you to skip rush hour traffic, or restricted airspace such as airports. They are also not allowed in the sky during nighttime. Jetson 1 is designed to fly at a maximum speed of 63 miles an hour and hover up to 20 minutes on a single charge, making it not likely sufficient for daily commute just yet. Jetson Aero plans to manufacture only 12 of the Jetson 1 vehicles in 2022, and all of them have been sold already, according to a company website, to buyers in the US, Europe, and Brazil. Currently, there are only three units left for 2023. So if you want one, get on it quick. And the last news story I have for you this week is a story from the two-wheeled EV world. A press release from Dorna Sports announces that Energica's time as the single Moto E manufacturer will come to an end after 2022. They say Dorna Sports can now announce the departure of Energica Motor Company as the single manufacturer for the FIM Enel Moto E World Cup, with 2022 confirmed as the final season. Energica has been the sole supplier to Moto E since the Cup's inception in 2019, with 2022 now set to mark the last chapter of a four-year journey full of evolution, excitement, and adrenaline. Energica has been a key part of making Moto E a much-watched series for both electric mobility and close competition, with the Cup racing at some of the world's most iconic circuits. The Energica Ego Corsa has proved to be fast, extremely reliable, and well appreciated by the riders who have taken part in the Cup, and will doubtless continue to impress next season before the collaboration between Energica and Moto E then concludes. And I will say, uh, that I believe is the fastest sport bike, uh, electric sport bike, that has been made. So, uh, I can't think of a better bike, actually, <laughs> at this point. Uh, to have been involved with this. 
The work done both at the track and at company headquarters has seen constant innovation with new solutions driving Moto E to the incredible level it is at now, with Energica showing an ability to react quickly to challenges and different technical requests in record time. The joint effort between all parties has been key developing a competition that will now move into a new era built on a foundation all involved can take immense pride in having constructed together. Livia Civolini, CEO of Energica Motor Company, said, quote, We are extremely happy at Energica to have provided our invaluable contribution to make Moto E the success it is today. We're confident that our innovative efforts have generated plenty of interest from the big OEMs to follow the path we started a decade ago. Being pioneers of electric mobility on two wheels, we have opened up a whole new way of sustainable and exciting motorcycle racing, and as we have always done, we now aim at testing ourselves with new challenges. This is why we are looking forward to the next big thing to come. We would like to thank Dorna Sports for the great opportunity to showcase our technology, and we are looking forward to wrapping up our journey together in style. End quote. Nicholas Gobert, executive director of the FIM Enel Moto E World Cup, said, quote, The first three seasons of the FIM Enel Moto E World Cup have delivered an incredible show despite all the unforeseen external challenges that have been thrown at us. It wasn't an easy task to undertake and one very new in many aspects, but we did it, and this was thanks to a joint effort between all parties involved. From the very beginning, Energica has brought its know-how to the track in a way we couldn't be happier with, delivering a package that has proved to be extremely competitive, showing impressive maximum speed, and lap times that on some occasion were in line with our other classes, despite the much shorter history of electric motorcycles. And maybe even more impressive than the on-track performance was the bike reliability, as none of the 18 drivers ever encountered a mechanical failure doing during any of the races we enjoyed in three seasons. Their ability to respond quickly and effectively to our requests and the ones coming from the riders and teams are proof of the expertise and passion that they brought to the series. All sides are committed to continuing giving their maximum effort going into 2022 for what will be another spectacular year of racing. I would really like to thank Energica for the quality of their innovative products and their engagement of the Moto E series, end quote. And I'm going to go back a little bit. The, the fact that nobody had a mechanical failure in three seasons at ever, that I don't think you can ever say that of any motorsport series. That is absolutely amazing and certainly a testament to the engineering that Energica puts into those bikes. It'll be sad to see them go, but I'm sure Moto E will be just as exciting in 2023 and moving forwards. So that is your show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this with your friends and anybody interested in electric vehicles. I invite your feedback via email to hello at ev-resource.com. You can always leave a comment on the YouTube video when there is one. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll get all the future shows delivered to you automatically. Even if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, hit follow, subscribe, whatever the button happens to be named these days. That way you're not running around trying to search for the EV Resource Podcast week after week. It'll just come to you. If you do want to listen to any of the previous shows, you can find them on the webpage under the podcast section and on many of the major podcast platforms. Thank you so much for being with me, and I'll catch you next week.